Today we're going to be talking about conflict. <laughs> you can go ahead and start opening up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. And I promise you we will get there eventually. It might take a little bit. We're going to be talking about conflict. And I thought this video was a great way to open the conversation about conflict. One, because it should make all of us feel better that I'm hoping our conflict doesn't look like that. That's pretty much on the extreme side of conflict. But honestly, when it comes down to it, I think our emotions that we saw exhibited very well in this, uh, negatively in this video here, I think we feel a lot of those same emotions that these, these two ladies, these two moms, you know, they started getting into conflict. And it does what unhealthy conflict does. It escalates and gets bigger and bigger until it starts boiling down all your emotions into one thing that matters. And that's our own personal pride that comes at the personal expense of somebody else. And so I want to talk about uh, conflict. And specifically, I want to talk about unhealthy conflict. That might sound to you a little bit like saying that's like healthy sickness. It's like an oxymoron. It doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Uh, but that's what we're going to talk about, conflict. Uh, unhealthy conflict versus healthy conflict. And the reason I want to talk about conflict is because all churches have conflict. All churches have conflict. It doesn't matter uh, whether you've grown up in the church your whole life as a little kid or you've hopped around to churches all, all over the place. Every church you will ever be that you've grown up in or that you will ever go to will have significant levels of conflict. I didn't know this. You know, this was like a new revelation to me later on in life, not as a, as a child grow up. I don't know if my parents protected me or what, but it's just like, I, I just thought church was a place that you went, you played, you learned about God, and everybody got along, and it was just like the perfect example of unity in the body of Christ. I thought it was great. Uh, I went to uh, Moody Bible Institute and, you know, took all the lessons and courses and never heard anything really about conflict, uh, you know, very much at all. And I just thought, it, you know, the, the church was essentially, you know, God's kingdom on this earth, you know, incarnate almost. You know, it's just like, that's what God's kingdom was. It was just this peaceful, I loved the church, you know, growing up in it. It was just like this, it was a respite place. It was a safe place for me growing up. And I just, I never ex uh, got to experience conflict really. Thank the Lord. But then my first church I was able to serve at back in Wisconsin. And I, I saw conflict for the first time. I promise you my goal in, when I'm preaching is not to cry. There's a, Jeremiah was a weeping prophet. I'll be the weeping pastor. That's okay. But this is a topic I am passionate about. First time I saw conflict. Two years in the servant at the church. Topic came up. Should we drink or should we not drink? That was just what raised everything to the surface. What ended up happening is the whole church got involved in this conflict. And the sad thing was, is the issue wasn't the issue. The issue was all these things, years and years of, of small, minor things within the body of Christ that were not dealt with in a healthy way, built up. It was like our church parking lot out there. Did that happen out of time, all those big cracks? No, it was little drops of water that froze every winter until finally we've got these big cracks out there. And that happened. 
happen in the church, that happen in relationships, and it got so tangled and messy and nasty, no one knew how to like figure it all out. It's like, where do we even start? We had to bring in this organization. I didn't realize there was actually Christian organizations that focused, their sole purpose was to go into churches in crisis situations, emergency, critical care, in the middle of conflict, and help them work through that. That blew my mind. What? There's actually organizations that guys get paid for this? You know, and there's huge demand for it all over the United States. These organizations are coming in and helping churches go through their, their conflict. And what was sad is that every single person in our church was hurt, kids included. Every person was hurt. Our pastors, we had three pastors, the senior and associate pastor who both deeply loved the Lord end up leaving the church. I remember sitting in the fellowship hall with a dodgeball, just like, where did everybody go? Because of conflict. I hated conflict. I hated conflict. It tore up people that I loved. I see it in my family and my kids and my extended family in the church. I hated conflict. Just wanted to stop. Just wanted to stop. I know I'm, I was naive, but uh, when I came here to Calvary, I was like, man, maybe something's going to be different. Maybe this is just our church. And I'm not trying to diss on Calvary. But guys, I want you to know that when I came here five and a half years ago, I was like, I hope it's different. I hope it's different. Our church got healthy again. We didn't leave while it was in turmoil. We waited, and God, God worked what God does best. We came here, I was like, I hope it's different. But you know what? First week, first two weeks didn't take long. I started seeing, hey, that's the same thing we were going through over there. Wow. Yeah, seen that before. Seen that before. Seen that before. And that's a tough realization for me to realize that that conflict characterizes so many of God's churches in America. It hurts. It hurts. Church, all churches have conflict. And I'm not trying to be an alarmist. I'm not saying that the sky is falling, and I'm not saying that Calvary Baptist Church is on the verge of splitting or anything else. I'm not... I don't want you to be confused at all, but I want you to get this point right now. I will say that I believe that this is true of any and all churches, that if we are not intentional, intentional with staying together, working tirelessly, tirelessly towards unity of faith, then the consequence is that we will split or we will close our doors, guaranteed. The only other option is that we will continue on and we will be completely ineffective in our mission. I think the latter of those three options is the worst. The worst of all. That we would continue on and be ineffective in our mission. This is not just a Calvary problem. This is an American church problem. Get these statistics. Six to 10,000 churches are dying every single year. Six to 10,000. Just this past week, one to 200 churches closed their doors. 
these are somewhat older stats that I was finding uh, online, and forgive me, I couldn't find more recent ones, updated ones, but I imagine that these stats are probably getting progressively worse uh, the more years that have progressed here. From 1990 to 2000, Protestant denominations declined by all, almost 10%, even though the population grew by 11%. That's disturbing. 2.7 million church members fall into inactivity every single year. Why is this happening? Why is, why is this going on? This is the church. God's building his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. God is true to his promises. What's going on? What's going on? Why is this happening? That is the million-dollar question. Increasingly, uh, one, of the, one of the reasons that sometimes people point out, and a lot of church leaders do this and a lot of books, they'll say, hey, it's an increasingly hostile world and culture. You know, cultural, the culture is decaying. There's changing values. There's a diminishing respect of the church and its leaders. That's what people point to. But I say that's baloney because you know what? It's ironic, but what happens to Christianity when there's the most persecution? It grows. You know, it's like when the, when the darkness gets darker, the light gets brighter. And the church has grown amongst persecution. I don't think that's the reason at all. That's like, you know, going out into an apple orchard and seeing, a, you know, a, one of the pickers out there just extremely depressed this time of year. And you're like, what's wrong? And he's like, oh, there's way too many apples on the tree. It's just so depressing. You know, it's just discouraging. I don't know what to do. The only problem is the apples are in the wrong spot. They're on the trees instead of the harvest has not been taken in. That should not be the reason why we are, are sometimes failing, why we are diminishing. It's not because of the culture. We've got to stop blaming the culture. That is not the issue. Another thing that is common to point to is a lack of clear vision and a lack of clear mission. And if you want to pick up a lead, leadership book on church, usually it'll address this. You have, you know, without a vision, the people perish, which is very true. We've got to be on point. We've got to have a vision and a mission. But I tell you, there's a lot of solid churches that have good visions and missions that are still failing. Why is that? That's part of the reason why, but I mean, come on, guys. We got, we got an awesome vision and mission for Calvary Baptist Church. We are multiplying Christ-like followers of Jesus Christ who are multiplying, you know, making Christ-like followers of Jesus Christ. That's an awesome, you know, mission. How do we do that? What does a disciple look like? You guys know, Pastor Tom has ingrained this in us. We are passionate about, apparently we're not that passionate. We are passionate about God. Okay, let's try this again. You got to do this for every one of them. Passionate about God. We are obedient to his. Yeah, we are dependent on God through prayer. There we go. We are connected. Let's say P-O-D. Next one is we are connected to one another. Yep. We are authentic and relevant in our witness. That's, what, that's who we are. That's what we do. That's what we do. That's what we do. I want you to, I want us to understand that the reason why so many churches in decline is not because of our culture. It's not because we don't know the right thing to do. The reason why I believe so many churches are in decline is this. 
because of unhealthy conflict. Unhealthy conflict. I've read this. It's tempting to blame secular culture, national politics, or church leaders for the declining evangelical influence in today's culture. But this article that I read in leader, church leadership, uh, it said this. It said, the top reasons why people leave the church have to do with not being connected and or being revolted by gossip and turned away by the conflict and strife. Top reasons. Not connected, revolted by gossip, and turned away by conflict and strife. Guys, I'm a pastor. If I ever left a church, you want me to tell you what the reason would be? I could tell you right now. That. That right there would be the reason. That right there. That scares me. That me as a pastor feels that way. And if I feel that way, I know a lot of you guys have felt that way at certain times in your life too. That scares me too. I went, uh, when I was younger, I remember driving down the road and there was these two churches. Ironically, they were side by side and they were completely identical in every single way. You looked at them, you're just like, why did they build two churches side by side, right next door to each other? Because of church conflict. History of the church doesn't, it doesn't reflect our ability to manage conflict very well at all. You know, we, we fight over sometimes obscure doctrinal matters, and, and sometimes, I mean, I was reading about some of these great church theologians, and as you start reading about their lives, you're like, uh, they mistook, you know, like spelling false teachers from the church for burning them at the stake. It's like, what happened? What happened? That scares me. Thankfully, that's not going on here, but guys... The church has struggled with how to deal with conflict for its entire history. I hear horror stories within the church. People fighting over obscure doctrines, you know, and then, you know, you hear the stories about churches, the paint colors you picked, or, you know, what to do in the, with the uh, pews or seats or chairs or whatever else. There's horror st stories I've heard about people being expelled from the church because they didn't laugh at the pastor's jokes, you know. Thank you for laughing. Everyone else who didn't, leave the room right now. It's, it's disappointing. That scares me. I can't tell you how many times, and again, I'm not trying to pinpoint Calvary. The only reason I do that is because I'm at Calvary, and you're at Calvary, and I want you to know this is like a personal, this is a, a problem all churches have, but I want you to know it exists here at Calvary, and I think we've all heard it. I can't tell you how many times, I've been here five and a half years, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people, and I feel this way sometimes too, and I can't just point at you, I think it's something that we all deal with. How many times I've heard people say, you know, in reference to something one or five or ten years ago and say, because of what happened in the past, I will never serve with that person again, or I will never serve on the board again. Over and over and over again. As a pastor, I keep hearing these things. And it, if something can, like, something people say can physically hurt a pastor, that's it. You know, it's like, it's like we can't, we, we, we will never serve together as the body of Christ. No wonder we're hurting as parts and pieces are leaving, are, are not being utilized in the church. No wonder we're hurting. No wonder we're hurting. It grieves my heart. 
If people can't serve and use their gifts in the body of Christ as God has called them, no wonder they become disconnected, disillusioned, bitter, and the door seems like the easiest, if not the only answer. No wonder churches are hurting and they're losing body parts. Unhealthy conflict, you can write this down if you're taking notes, unhealthy conflict interferes with our pod car. Our wish, our mission statement was like, had like mojo as the main letters. That would have been super awesome for this illustration. But I want to say unhealthy conflict interferes with our pod car. First Peter 3, 8 through 12, which I hope you got there already, says this. It says, and Peter is writing to the church. He's not writing to non-believers and everyone else outside the church. He's writing to the church, to Christians. And he says this, and starting in verse 8, he says, finally, all of you have unity of mind. Unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil. This is happening in the church. He's having to say this to the church because it exists within the church. Do not repay evil for evil or reveling for reveling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing for whoever desires to love and see good days. Hopefully all of you want to see to love and see good days, love life and see good days. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace. Let him seek peace. Peace is elusive. Peace is not found accidentally. You have to seek peace. And you pursue peace. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, to the righteous, but for those who are not practicing those things you just talked about, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. We cannot be passionate about God unless we are obedient to his word. We can't be obedient to his word unless God gives us power through prayer and reliance on him. But this passage just said, you know what won't let your, uh, your prayers to God get through? Disunity and discord within the body of Christ. That interferes with your prayers to God. We can't be passionate, obedient, and dependent if we are living in disunity. It doesn't happen. We, can't, we need to be passionate, obedient, and dependent so that we can be connected, authentic, and relevant. But we can't be connected and authentic uh, we, can't have passionate, we can't have all that without being connected, authentic, and relevant. We have to have pod for the car. We have to have the car for the pod. Was that confusing enough? You need one for the other. If we don't have the car, it hinders the pod. It's a loop. We got to have both. We can't say we love God and not love each other. My kids know better than fighting when, you know, when they're fighting to come up to me and ask for anything, they know they won't get it. And God does the same thing with us, with his children. If you're fighting, what's the point of praying? Unless it is to ask for forgiveness, seek forgiveness from someone else. That's a prayer God will always hear. My kids know to never ask for anything. But it's amazing how many times we are living in conflict and strife with other people in the church and then we'll go and fall on our knees, and we will pray our hearts out. We will pray night and day, and I've got to be the mean pastor bully man who tells you it is ineffective. God turns his face away from those who live in disunity, who are not sympathetic, who are not demonstrating brotherly love, who are not tenderhearted, who are not humble of mind. 
people who, who uh, return evil for evil, people who are gossiping, people who are not seeking peace as far as it depends on them. God cannot hear, will not answer our prayers. He turns his face away. Worst thing that could happen to every single one of us. God should turn his face away. Unhealthy conflict interferes with our podcar. And it affects our prayers and it affects our worship. Matthew 5.24, it says, Leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. We can't pray and we cannot worship until we are living in unity with each other in the body of Christ. Question begs the question, what is the solution? And I catch myself and, I've, and I think all of us kind of fall in this mentality of saying, we need to worship more. We need to worship better. We need to pray more. We need to, wor- uh, to pray better. And we do need to do those things. But I want you to get this. We can't. We can't do this. No matter how hard we try, we can't worship better. We can't pray better. We can't grow better until we learn to conflict better. We cannot worship better, pray better, grow better until we learn to conflict better. I did not say conflict less. I didn't say get rid of conflict. I said we need to conflict better. Conflict better. The solution is not less conflict. Conflict's always going to exist among us. But what we need is healthy conflict. People in a lot of church, and you hear this sometimes when they come in and, you know, they see conflict going around, which is expected. They'll say, I can't go to a church that has conflict. I can't go to a church that's in conflict. You know, if a church says they're not in conflict, I'm a little more skeptical because I think they're hiding something. But you know what? This Titus Task Force was the name of the organization that came into our church in Wisconsin and helped us through our problems. They said this, and this has stuck with me ever since. They said, it is not the lack of conflict that sets Christians apart. It is not the lack of conflict that sets the church and Christians apart. It's how we deal with it. That's what sets us apart. We can't pretend like, sometimes we pretend like, oh, there's no conflict, everything's good. No, it's happening everywhere. And we're not going to get any, rid of it this side of eternity and this side of heaven, this side of Jesus returning. Conflict exists. And the thing that sets the church apart is not the lack of it, but how we deal with it. It sounds weird, but conflict is not the problem. How we deal with it is. In this book called Peacemaker by a, a guy named Ken Sandy, he showed the spectrum of, of conflict. And we just saw in the beginning video, you saw like the extreme on one side. You've heard of fight or flight. Usually when there's conflict, people have one of those two tendencies. They fight, and that was what we saw. Those ladies were just fully going at it. Fight, 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 fight. But then on the opposite end of the spectrum way over here, we have people who are running away from the conflict. Running away, doing everything they can get, you know, do to get away from it and ignore it, hide it, whatever it takes. And both of those are wrong. If we are doing either one of those in our, in our conflict situations, because you all have them going on, whether it's in church or in family or whatever else, those are wrong and they, they will destroy us. They will destroy us. I am so thankful. I am so thankful 
that God has given us the greatest example of conflict. I am thankful that he didn't fight conflict. When he came, he did not see us in our sin, and he did not say, I'm going to give you what you deserve. We would have deserved destruction. God didn't do that. On the other side, God didn't run away. He didn't say, man, those people are awful. I want to get as far away from them as I can. He had every reason to do that. He didn't. The gospel is a story of healthy conflict resolution. How to do conflict in a healthy way. One of the things I was thinking about is I was thinking through conflict. Uh, when I was in fourth grade, uh, I fell out of a tree and broke my leg. And uh, I don't know why my little brother claims to this day that he did this, but he tells me, he says, John, when you fell out of that tree that one day, I put a baseball bat underneath you so you would fall on that. I was like, that's a horrible thing to tell your brother. I put a baseball bat underneath you. But I think a lot of times, guys, that's how we deal with conflict in the church. We didn't push them out of the tree, but we sure did make, that when they, make sure that when they hit, it hurt. That's how we deal with conflict. But that's not how God deal with conflict. I'm glad Jesus taught us the healthy conflict. He did not ignore the problem, leave us in our misery. He did not destroy the problem and give us what he deserved. He sought peace. He pursued peace. He held nothing back to the point of death on the cross. Jesus showed sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, humility. He did not repay evil for evil. He brought a blessing. He sought peace and he pursued it. And you know what? God answered his prayer. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. God has been answering that prayer ever since. This is the definition of healthy conflict, is when it is gospel-saturated conflict. Gospel-saturated conflict. Because of what Jesus did through conflict, I am now excited about conflict. My first church back in Wisconsin, I hated conflict. Now I am excited about conflict. Because the gospel is rooted in conflict. It is almost, it's like the, the absolute best way to demonstrate the gospel to others is through conflict. We got to stop viewing conflict as like this totally unspiritual thing that we got to flee from. We got to start seeing it as this is, this is God finally raising the issues of the world up into something that we can visibly see, something tangible that God wants to enter into and actually make a profound change, make something actually happen that we can see and others can see too. I'm excited about it. It sounds sadistic and horrible, I know, but conflict is an amazing opportunity to share the gospel. I remember going down to Hurricane Katrina when afterwards, it's like a year later, and Eunice and I went down there with our church, and one of our jobs was mucking out houses a year after Hurricane Katrina, and they had like water and mildew and mold and everything. I picked up a dresser once. We had to muck out houses. That's our job. We go and I picked up a dresser and the dresser just like crumbled in my arms and these like nasty clothes and the smell, the, the fixtures, the uh, ceiling fans were like upside down flower or, you know, they wilted just like that. It was nastiness. I remember day one we were going in there and we were like, oh, 
you know, and just like, oh, you're trying to cover your mouth up and, you know, just like bringing it out. And it was horrible and it was slow going. By the end of the week, we were just like, you know, grabbing the stuff and just, mm-mm, maybe not quite that good, but we were just like grabbing it and we were throwing it out on the, on the dumpster until that place was cleaned out, mucked out, and was a blessing to those people inside. And guys, I want us to start changing our mentality of what conflict is and what it can accomplish. It is not something to be, you know, thrown out, again, as an unspiritual endeavor, is something to be embraced as a gift from God, as an opportunity to show the gospel in a possible way that's more clear than any other way that you can show them. We want to share the gospel with people, and our, we have our ideal way of sharing the gospel. You know, we want to be friends. We want to go down and sit next to them. We want to pat them on the back. They, we want them to pat us on the back. We want to earn their respect, you know, and just kind of be friends and earn the right to be able to share the gospel. Guys, I got to tell you, that's a great technique when it works, but a majority of time, that's not how it's going to happen. I will tell you guys that, that conflict is your God-given opportunity to share the gospel in a tangible way all the time. If you're anything like me, you don't have a lot of friends. There goes the friend technique. But if you're like me, you probably have a lot of enemies. Amen? Amen. That's a horrible thing to amen. But anyways, you got opportunities to demonstrate the gospel in and through conflict with the people you do not get along with. Where you went from, oh, I got one or two people that I'm friends with and I'm trying to share the gospel. I don't want to minimize that. That's awesome. All of a sudden you went through, I only got a couple of options. So now I've got a whole world of options. I have a whole world of options. When we start viewing conflict differently, when we stop doing it in an unhealthy way where we fight or flight, we come to the middle and see where God did neither. He came and demonstrated all these things that we saw in that passage in 1 Peter. Brotherly love, kindness. You know, he didn't return tit for tat. He came with a blessing. That's when we were changed. I hear so many times, and, and this is not, again, I, I pointed out in the church, but it's me too. I have, that, I have these same thoughts that everyone else does. Have you ever gone through a conflict and we do our Christian duty, we go and we approach a brother or a sister and we're like, you know, you know we, we got in a fight, uh, you know, I'm sorry, and they're like, I'm sorry, and you make up and you hug. And I feel this, and I know you guys feel this way too. Afterwards, have you ever caught yourself saying, after you've done that, saying, we, we forgave each other, but our relationship will never be the same again? Have you ever said that to yourself? I forgave them, I love them, we're good again, but our relationship will never be the same again. Guys, did Jesus Christ come and die on the cross so just so our relationship could be a little bit better than, than bad? No, he died on the cross so our relationship could be better than ever. And this is what I want us to start realizing, guys, is that when we do conflict, we are setting the bar low when we just apologize and we let ourselves off the hook and say it's never going to be the same. Praise God, it's not supposed to be the same. Conflict is supposed to allow the gospel to work its power so that our relationship is taken to a new level. That's where the, 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 the bar is set by God. Thank God our relationship isn't going to be the same. It shouldn't be the same, but we are settling for it at the top bars. It's just going to be the same. 
God does not want our relationship to be the same. I remember one of my friends back in Oklahoma. I, we moved to Oklahoma, and I was making new friends. And, and uh, it was still it was towards the beginning of the school year. I had a bunch of the boys from my classroom over, and, and uh, we had a, a spend-the-night party. And I'm a pretty laid-back guy. I don't go out and just, like, pick fights and stuff like that. But there's this kid, and his name's Corey Stubbs. And this was fifth grade, I think. This kid was just bossing everybody around. I'm like, this is my birthday party. You know, let me have, you know, let me say what game we're going to play and how we're going to play it. And he's, no, he's bossing everybody around. And uh, I don't know how it happened, but the two of us ended up getting into like a fist fight, rough and tumble down on the ground. We were just duking it out. We were duking it out. And our parents, I remember the, uh, my parents called up his parents. They came over, they set us down, they talked through everything conflict in a healthy way that was gospel saturated and you know what Corey Stubbs and I became best of friends our relationship was never the same because we did conflict in a healthy way God wants our relationships to be different way different never to be the same he wants us to go to a higher level that reflects the truth of the gospel in our lives we can't do that if we settle for it'll never be the same we can't do it. God didn't send Jesus so our relationships could be just a little better than bad. He sent Jesus so our relationship could be better than ever. Let's keep the bar high in this church body. Let's not diminish the power of the gospel. And instead, let's put on full display for everyone to see that our God brings peace in the midst of conflict. Yesterday on the cross, today at Calvary, and for eternity. Could it be that God wants to continue doing the same thing that he did 2,000 years ago, using the seemingly infinite and insurmountable stage of human conflict to display the unquenchable and all-powerful message of the gospel for all to see? Could it be that God wants to use conflict in our church? Ephesians 2.14 says this. It says, for he himself, and is talking about two different, like, conflicts, there's a huge conflict going on in the early church between Jews and Gentiles. This is what Paul says. For he himself is our peace who had made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. If God has destroyed the barrier and the dividing wall of hostility, if that barrier is no longer there, why are we settling for it'll never be the same? God showed us, or Jesus showed us in Matthew 5, 38 through 42. He starts off talking about unhealthy conflict, unhealthy conflict, eye for an eye. But gospel-saturated conflict says, you have heard eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the evil person who slaps you on the right cheek, turn, to the, uh, to turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let them have your coats also. That is pursuing peace. That is pursuing, that is seeking and pursuing peace. Seeking and pursuing peace. We need conflict. We need healthy conflict between you and me and me and you. And you with each other. And this is a huge part of our testimony. John 17, 23. Great verse. I'd recommend writing it down because it says, I in them and you in me. Jesus is saying this. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. I don't know if he was trying to rhyme that, but it kind of is catchy. I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. 
And this is the purpose for unity that the world will know. Will the world know that God is here working amongst us? You know, if, if we're preaching this message of peace and then they come into the church and say they see, they see disunity, they're going to call our bluff. They're going to say, you guys aren't real. But if they hear us talking about the gospel where Jesus bridged the greatest relational divide of all time between God and man, and we're preaching that, and they come here and they say, wow, these people are living in unity. There's conflict. I see that conflict everywhere. But you know what? I see that conflict resulting in deeper relationships. It's, and they'll say, wow, they are connected, and they'll say they are authentic, and they are relevant. And the amazing thing is when we do that, all of a sudden, that shows passion for God. That helps us to be obedient to his word. We can't love God and not love each other. And you know what the really, really awesome thing is there? God will hear our prayers. Answer our prayers. Have you been waiting for some prayers to be answered for a while? I don't want to get into That's a whole other topic in itself, but... I want to encourage you guys. If you're waiting for some answered prayers, maybe it's time you address some of the conflict in your life. Not address it by fighting or flighting, but by bringing the gospel to saturate it so that people will clearly see that God brings unity to broken relationships. You want a revival? We can't just worship and pray. We can't just worship and pray more while we neglect our relationships with each other. We must unleash the power of the gospel in our relationships, and it starts in the church. It starts with our conflicts with each other. If we can't do it here, we have no business doing it out that door. Conflict affects our pod car. The awesome thing is that it doesn't have to be a negative impact awesome thing is that instead of extinguishing our pod car, conflict, when done in a God-honoring way, will fan the flames of our mission here at Calvary Baptist Church. That is my prayer for this church. Please change your view. If nothing else, when you go and leave this place today, please change your perspective on conflict. Conflict is not is not an unspiritual endeavor that, you know, that we have to hide from or run from or anything else. It's something, it's an opportunity that God has given every single one of us. It is a blessing to be able to help people clearly see the power of the gospel.